Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom and welcome to Bible Interact Presents. I'm Dr. Noreen Jacks. Thank you for joining me for today's presentation. I have entitled this message, The Warrior Bride Wears White, and it is taken from Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, which I will read to you now. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Envision for a moment this extraordinary scene in heaven when the greatest military operation in history commences as described in the passage we just read. The armies of heaven were following Yeshua, riding white horses and dressed in fine white linen. The heavenly bridegroom organizes this bridal company into a white linen-clad army. Think about this. Warriors riding white war horses to battle? Warriors clothed in white linen? Yes, but why? It's unimaginable for an army to wear white on the battlefield. Warfare is dirty business. Typically, military personnel wear durable camouflage uniforms that appear cleaner than they actually are. The camouflage fabric works to conceal soldiers from the enemy's sight. White would never be worn in conventional warfare. Not only would it expose dirt immediately, it would scream to the enemy, Here I am, come and get me. Only the most confident warriors would dare to wear white to battle. The virtuous warrior bridal company displays that kind of bold confidence when she rides to battle with her beloved commander and chief. Great is her trust in the conquering Lion King of Judah. Hallelujah! Fine white linen epitomized wealth and elegance and refinement in Bible times. It was the attire of royalty who could afford to clean or discard clothing that soiled easily. Linen was regarded as sacred among the people of antiquity. The Egyptians were famous makers of white linen. They used the fabric for money wrappers and priestly garments. Linen cloth was often placed in the tombs of the deceased for use in the world to come. The veil in the temple in Jerusalem was made from fine linen, a fabric so exclusive 
that linen was also Yeshua's fabric of choice for his warrior bride. It appears that the warriors in the heavenly army are not one bit concerned about soiling their costly raiment. To be clothed in white garments indicates purity of heart and consecration unto God. The overcoming bride is privileged to wear white linen to war and white linen to her wedding. She's part of a royal militia. She's part of a holy priesthood. The bride's extravagant white linen is a reward for her worthiness. It is evidence of a pure, undefiled life, a life made pure by the blood of the Lamb. What a privilege it is, then, to wear white to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Any color other than white could conceal spots. The overcoming bride at this point in history, however, has nothing to hide because all her sins and iniquities have been washed away by the cleansing blood of the Lamb. Praise God. I have a list here of promises and blessings that the Bible promises to the warrior bride. And I want to share some of those with you now in the time that we have remaining. The first one is from Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. The hidden manna, of course, is our Yeshua. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Praise God. Now, what exactly is this white stone of revelation? This is something that perplexed me. Um, many years ago, and I began researching. We need to do a little background sometimes, a little background search. I always encourage my students, my classes, audiences, to search out the cultural anthropology of Bible times in order to truly understand what the text is saying uh, and study genres, uh, disciplines such as archaeology of the Bible and biblical geography, the linguistics of the Bible, things of that nature, and it all helps to make the scriptures come to life. So I encourage you not to gloss over passages that may appear at first glance to be boring or confusing or perhaps too difficult or irrelevant. Those passages are often the deep gold mines of scripture, so get in there and start digging. 2 Timothy 2.5 exhorts us to study to show ourselves approved unto God. That does not mean just to take the scriptures at surface meaning. We need to dig for them. There's many layers sometimes that we want to dig through to really get the essence. And this is good exegesis. That's what we want to do. So let's talk about this beautiful white stone, this beautiful gift that God has for his children. It's called also the stone of grace by some. A theme of redemption and unmerited favor runs through the ancient traditions of the white stone. Festival days were noted with white stones. Black stones indicated days of calamity. A host would present an honored guest with a white stone with a personal message written on it. Employers and merchants presented white stones to favored clients and employees. The stone frequently entitled the bearer to receive merchandise, and complimentary admission to such events as uh, sports, sporting events, or cultural events. In stone, a white in, in court rather, a white stone specified innocence, and a black stone designated guilt. 
This is where we get the idea of blackballed, meaning to be ostracized, from way back here in Revelation 2.17. So I'm sure you're beginning to see that the white stone was a source of joy. Now for Christians, the white stone of acquittal is evidence of divine favor. Yeshua is the rock of ages. He is our white stone of acquittal. Hallelujah, that is thrilling to my soul, and I hope it's thrilling to your soul also. The bride of Yeshua was hewn, meaning she was perfected, honed, and, honed and formed from a rich quarry of unlimited supply, meaning the bride is part of the bridegroom. The bride and the bridegroom are one. There's no shortage of white stones in God's vast quarry of forgiveness. Just mercy, mercy, and more mercy. I want to share with you a little testimony of something that happened to me concerning the white stone. I was teaching my Tuesday morning Bible class, same class I've had now for 26 years, when the tape recorder malfunctioned during my presentation of the white stone. This was very disappointing because I needed the tape for two absentees who had requested the lesson in advance. So I prayed to the Lord and I asked him to give me another opportunity to share the lesson. Well, the very next day my prayer was answered. I received a phone call. I was asked to substitute teach the adult Sunday school class just a few days following. I had never been asked to teach that class before. I had never been in that particular class before. Well, immediately I knew the Lord wanted me to share the message of the white stone. On my way to church, I gathered a handful of white stones <clears throat> from my garden, but I had no idea why I was doing so. At the conclusion of the class, I felt led to give a white stone to each person present, beginning with a woman who came to class very late and appearing very distressed. Unbeknownst to me, the woman was experiencing the greatest trials of her life. Her life had literally fallen apart before her eyes just the day before. Well, I unknowingly uh, placed a white stone in her hand while exhorting her to receive all that it represented in Yeshua. Things like salvation, liberty, healing, deliverance, provision, protection, joy, and heavenly shalom. And oh, did she ever need that heavenly shalom. When she opened her hand to accept the stone, I almost fainted. Inside the palm of her hand was a highly polished white heart-shaped stone. I couldn't believe my eyes. The woman had been holding on to it the whole time she'd been in the class, just waiting for the appropriate time to share her treasure. The class went wild. The class erupted in joy. And the woman received a great gift of encouragement from the Lord that day. She shared with us how a friend had recently given her this stone to encourage her, this heart-shaped stone. But neither of them had any, any idea of the significance of the stone. So it was a tremendous joy to us to see the way the Lord ministered to her through the white stone in that particular event. Now I have some other scriptures that I want to share with you also that uh, concern the overcoming warrior bride. We just learned that the overcoming bride will be gifted with the many entitlements of the white stone. But there are many other things. The 
the warrior bride will be given authority over the nations in Revelation 2, 26 to 28. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him will I give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessel of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Well, we know who the bright morning star is. That's our Yeshua. Now also, her name will be indelibly inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. This is speaking of eternal life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now I want to stop for a moment and tell you another little story. Um, I heard a wonderful message many years ago by Dr. David Jeremiah, and he was speaking about this very passage. And he went on to say that in ancient times, every city, every town had a registry with all the local names. And they were penned in there with ordinary ink. But people of high repute, uh, politicians, athletic champions, people of that nature, had their names recorded in gold, in gold ink, as a special blessing to them, a special honor. And the people also knew that if they failed in some way in their civic duties, if they brought disgrace upon the city through crime or any other offense, that their names would be expunged from the rolls. So to the very people who understood this custom, Yeshua spoke to the Apostle John saying, I will never expunge their names from the rolls of heaven. What comfort and reassurance that is to God's people. Hallelujah. And that's another reason why it's important to know a little bit about the background of the scriptures, the cultural anthropology of the times. Now, um, we also have another passage in Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Praise the Lord. And he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Praise God. Revelation 3.12 To be a pillar in the house of God means that you will be stable, enduring, supportive, immovable. You will be standing. You will not fall. And this is extraordinary comfort and encouragement to the child of God. We all go through times when we struggle, but my goodness, right here he says he's going to make us a pillar in the house of God. We will be a support system to the kingdom of God in these last days, and that's a blessing to he who overcomes. Now, in Ephesians 1, verse 11 through 14, let's read that one together if you have your Bibles handy. This is about being a child of God and receiving our full inheritance in Yeshua. Also, we have obtained an inheritance. What joy to think that we have an inheritance waiting for us. And it goes on to say, Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. 
to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. Imagine that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But that's just the promise. There's the inheritance that is yet to come. Glory to God. What what a privilege it is to know the Lord. What a privilege it is to serve him and to be counted part of his bridal company. Glory to God. Now, there's another wonderful promise in Psalm 91, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You have to be very close to something to be in its shadow. And we want to be that close. <clears throat> this reminds me of Bezalel, the one whom God filled with his spirit, the first man in scripture whom God filled with the spirit at the time of uh, the Exodus when God spoke to him and said he wanted him to construct the tabernacle and the furnishings. What a privilege. Here he was, a former slave, and he was commissioned to do this great, highly skilled work. I was amazed when I looked at his name one day, and I saw the word cell right in the middle of it, Betzel. And it means shadow. The word is shadow. Betzel means in the shadow of God, literally. And I just marveled at that. And he definitely was in the shadow of God, in the protection of God. He was so close to God that the Lord was able to inspire him and to motivate him and to equip him <clears throat> and to give him all the resources and the knowledge that he needed in order to fulfill this great commission that he had placed upon him. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Think about that mother hen, how she uh, gathers her chicks to her and, and hides them under her feathers. When we're under the feathers of God, we're invisible to the enemy. Praise God. Psalm 103, verse 12 is also a very precious verse. It says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Here's another promise to the overcomer, another great blessing. And when you think about the east and the west, that is not a measurable distance. From the north to the south pole, we have a measurable distance. But from the east to the west, we're continually going east or we're continually going west. That is immeasurable. And that's telling us that there is no limit to God's grace, to his mercy, to his forgiveness, to his love. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions. Hallelujah. I love Revelation 19.8 too. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Praise God. From what I have read... I understand that the purest, finest white linen is actually reflective. And that makes me think of the reflection of Jesus Christ in, in, in the Shekinah glory of Almighty God and the way the Lord Jesus was reflected 
on the mount in Mount of Transfiguration many years ago. White linen, bright and clean and reflective. Revelation 19.14 is also very special. It says that the armies which are in heaven are clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and they were following him on white horses. We read this passage in the beginning of this study. It's powerful. Think about these armies in heaven clothed in linen. And these are the armies in the white horses fearlessly facing the enemies of the gospel, going with our Lord to 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 the final battle. And they know that they are on the winning side, so they are confident of victory. They have no fear. Hallelujah. Now let's read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. This is about the armor of God. And there are tremendous blessings in this passage that we'll talk about for just a few minutes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the scheme of the enemies. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What powerful weapons Almighty God has given us. Our loins are girded with truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet are prepared to bring the gospel everywhere we go. Every place the sole of our feet tread, we must claim for the gospel of, of peace to be spread, for that gospel seed to be planted and to take root and to bear forth rich fruit in the days ahead. I am so thankful for the shield of faith. Without faith, we have no hope. Oh, and we need that shield to extinguish those flaming darts because they keep coming. But we don't have to pay them heed. We just keep that shield up and the Lord will take care of us. Our head is covered with the salvation of the Lord and the sword of the Spirit is coming out of our mouth. The word of the Lord. Praise his name. I have a few more verses I want to share with you in the time remaining. 1 John 4.17 By this love is perfected with us, so that we have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Confidence in the day of judgment. We do not have to fear judgment like the world does. Glory to God. Revelation 19.9 says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. My friends, we have an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise his name. What a privileged people we are. Glory to God. 
Revelation 2.7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Another great blessing, to eat of the tree of life. Praise the Lord. And one more. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Can you imagine? No, you can't. No one can imagine. It's just too glorious to even contemplate. But I thank you for joining me for this today. Receive every blessing you have in the name of Yeshua. And check us out on BibleInteract.com. I'd love to hear from you on my website, NoreenJacks.com. It's been a blessing and a privilege to share with you about the warrior bride who wears white and to share with you also all of the overcoming scriptures that are in the Word of God to give us hope and faith and encouragement to bring us through all the trials of life. So until we meet again, thank you for joining me, and Shalom.